Hello, hello. Welcome to our Job the Stamp podcast. If it is your first time tuning in, welcome. And if you've been following the gang for a while, welcome back, my friend. This podcast showcases talented young scientists from different parts of the world who, with their undeniable passion for science, dedicated mindset, diligent work, and exceptional achievements in the STEM fields, are making a lasting impact today for a brighter tomorrow. We also infuse science with the humane aspect of it, showcasing the person beyond the project board. The guests are ISAF, USIS, SIUS, RSI, and ITEM alumni. You can discover more about that on www.dropthestand.com, linked in our bio. If you enjoy listening for the episode and think this is worth tuning into, feel free to share it with others tagging the pod because we love seeing some supportive queens and kings. And now, let's jump right into the episode and discover who is gonna be dropping the stand today. Let's welcome Aditya Sood, who with his project reverse testing drug chemotherapies on drosophila models to detect hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, received NASA's first place award at ISAF 2019. He was also selected as one of 25 U.S. students to attend the prestigious cryptography and cybersecurity summer program at MIT Lincoln Labs, MIT LL Cipher. He furthermore received Grand Award Bronze Medal at North American Science Fair IRIC 2020 for his research. He utilized hardware physically unclonable functions, or PUFs, to enhance privacy and revolutionize encryption of consumer electronic health records. During the pandemic, he's led the development of an iOS app to support local businesses impacted by COVID-19. Aditya is also an author of Trailblazing into Cryptography, an introductory cryptography book with endorsements from crypto experts at Google and Intel. Fun fact, you wouldn't want to get in a fight with Aditya because he's a Taekwondo third-degree black belt, winning five gold, three silver, and three bronze medals at US World Open Championship. Now, let's jump right into our conversation. Hi, Aditya. Welcome on the podcast. It's great to have you on. Hi, Blanca. Thank you for having me. On the podcast, we usually start with dating a little bit back in time, and it's great to see how your scientific journey has unfolded during the years. So that's why I'm really curious to know what drew you essentially closer to the world of science. So whether we look at computer science or biology, physics, or really any other science, we see how relevant it is to our lives. So I was initially drawn into science because I wanted to better understand how things work the way they do. Um, And that is really what science is. It's getting a better understanding of our world. So this was merely the hook. And I began exploring more of the scientific realm and I became increasingly curious as I delved deeper. So my curiosity in these fields has uh, prompted my continuous involvement in them, whether it's biology or computer science. So you wanted to find the answers to the big picture questions, like what are the forces behind all of what we see around ourselves? Exactly. And you also mentioned biology and computer science, but I can feel that there is a, a mixture of both subjects in your scientific advancements and we can say career now because of your achievements and passion infused with that. What motivated you to choose those two pathways and what motivated you to actually stick with them? Biology, I was just interested in because I wanted to see more about how we actually work, like humans themselves. So that led me to genetics because genetics is 
essentially just the inherent programming of humans. It defines who we are, why we are the way we are, and essentially everything about us. So I, that's what drew me into genetics. And I was equally fascinated in computer science because computer science is becoming increasingly essential in our lives. It is making an appearance everywhere. And even in my genetics project, I was using computer science tools to analyze the data. So it just shows that computer science is it's a field, but it's also a tool that can be used to further our, our understanding in all of these fields. So it's very important to know. Absolutely. And you can find, I guess we can say, that sort of systematic approach in both of these fields. So we can now see that bioinformatics or the infusion, both of those fields are emerging technologies. You've also implemented computer science knowledge to target a, a problem, a health problem called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM. So why did you choose to investigate that disease? HCM is a prevalent cardiac disease. And it involves the thickening of the septum and the surrounding walls in our heart. So when these walls thicken, they bulge into the nearby ventricles, and it essentially makes the entire heart work overtime. So it's already working overtime, and environmental changes or, you know, an exercise session can easily trigger a cardiac arrest in the unsuspecting patient. And the greater issue is that currently, there's very limited non-invasive testing for this disease. Most of them include procedures like cardiac catheterization. Um, which are very invasive and expensive. So people, patients don't know that they have this disease until it's too late. And treatments are only, uh, they're inefficient in the sense that they only target the superficial symptoms of, the, of this disease rather than the root cause. So this led my involvement in HCM. And I developed a reverse drug testing model on Drosophila fruit flies to determine which protein kinase pathways were affected by this disease. So what this really means is that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy disrupts some cellular communication pathways in our body. And it was a matter of figuring out which pathways uh, were actually affected by this disease. I used a set of drugs of chemotherapies, and each of these chemotherapy drugs reinforces a separate protein kinase pathway. So when I induced uh, uh, my fruit fly model with this disease, I gave I administered these drugs to these fruit flies. And if there was success with one drug, it implies that its corresponding protein kinase pathway was actually affected by HCM. So by getting this greater understanding of which protein kinase pathways are actually affected, we can uh, create specialized treatments that target and reinforce these specific pathways rather than just curing the symptoms and not doing anything about the root cause of this disease. That sounds really interesting. So you've investigated these different kind of pathways to find a way on how to detect the disease in its earliest stages. But I guess after testing these several chemotherapy drugs, you had to choose some kind of program to, to model your results with. How did you go about that part of the project? Yeah, so the part where the computer science came in, uh, more specifically the machine learning, was in the uh, future data analysis. So I, I was only able to test some pathways uh, because there are a lot of pathways in our body. And uh, that too, I had to test um, these pathways with drugs that had varying concentrations because these chemotherapies are meant for humans, not flies. So I had to test them with various chemotherapies in case if one higher molarity was too toxic for the flies, we could fall back onto a lower concentration. And what this machine learning model allowed me to do was uh, determine which uh, chemotherapies I should test and at what levels in the future to get the best success um, for my future project. So it, it allowed it took my current data to train this machine learning model that could help predict future success. 
essentially. Congratulations on your project. You've mentioned also that you want to continue this project. Do you have future steps in mind that you want to take to bring this project even to a higher level? One thing I definitely want to continue doing is testing more uh, protein kinase pathways. And on top of that, fruit flies are, um, they're a good starting point, but they're not too accurate because the flies could also die because of other causes um, other than hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So they're a good starting point, but um, in the future, I would like to proceed with this project in uh, exploring stem cell lines or uh, mice models for more accurate data. And of course, I'm going to input all of this data into my machine learning model to um, increase its accuracy. I see. Well, drosophilas are, or the fruit flies are kind of like the jolly jokers of genetic model organisms tested on humans where we have more accurate data. Um, how it affects different kind of pathways in humans is definitely going to help. And I wish you all the best with it because the project is, is really worth of continuing. Thank you. Thank. Of course, we are in Corona and um, pandemic times, but what did it feel like working in the lab? I know that every other scientist has a personal attachment to the lab environment and research, but what did you enjoy about it? This was my first research experience, and I really enjoyed learning more about um, just overall lab etiquette and uh, actually doing the hands-on research, like, you know, physically doing that hands-on research. Um, it was It was really interesting. Uh, learning from my uh, mentor who explained these, you know, he explained the lab etiquette in a really, you know, easy to understand manner and the project. And it was just a very wholesome experience because it allowed me to understand whether I actually wanted to pursue gen genetics in uh, as a job or, you know, just do it as a passion. I, that's why I actually think internships are very important because they allow you to better understand whether you want to pursue that uh, field in your career or if you enjoy that uh, field or not. So it was just a very great experience. Your high school years are meant to experiment with a lot of different interests and then choose the one that is really applicable in your case. Has this experience solidified your interest in genetics or do you gravitate uh, more towards computer science? Yeah, this project definitely solidified my interest in genetics, but um, equally, I'm also equally drawn to computer science. So um, more specifically, cryptography and cybersecurity. So uh, in the future, I'm looking to do, to do something in cybersecurity, but I am surely going to continue doing research on the side in genetics because I find it very intriguing. Yes, and you can combine the two to have a very potent mixture. Exactly. <laughs> During your ISAP experience, as sort of walking down on memory lane, what memorable moments would you include in your so-called ISAP pilot reel? Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> but to name the top three, um, I think the, the first, my, my most memorable, memorable moment is uh, winning the first place NASA award. And the best part is taking a selfie on stage with my sister and Brian Wu. I think he's also featured on this podcast. Um, that's actually where I met him. And it was uh, great because we all just took a selfie on stage. <laughs> to remember that picture. I think someone... You do? Yes. Or but Brian shared this. There's just some memory blueprints in my mind now that you mentioned it. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that was definitely the most memorable moment. And uh, it was also amazing meeting new people who all had similar passions for science and innovation. Um, and I was able to talk to them about their work and seeing about like, you know, they're all from like all over the world. Um, and it was just amazing seeing how they had, uh, you know, gone on their journey and how they ended up at ISEF. So that was definitely a very interesting experience. Mm -hmm. And for my last uh, 
memorable memorable moment. I would say that it has to be the disco party, which was just wild. Do you remember that the floor was actually shaking? Yeah, we we can party. <laughs> yes, I think that's one stereotype that has to be erased about scientists. <laughs> I fully agree. <laughs> Yes, because we had so much pressure. I mean, judging day was hardcore, um, especially with the dongs. Um, I don't know. I think that just put an extra level of stress on us. Yeah, for sure. You've mentioned cryptography, and that's one of your peak interests. So, could you expand on the cryptography and cybersecurity summer program you attended at none other than MIT? I had the privilege to attend a program called MIT Hello Cipher, and uh, it was me and thirty other students from across the nation. And this program was just a phenomenal experience because it gave me the opportunity to learn from researcher and experts at MIT Lincoln Laboratory. So, just a brief introduction on what cryptography is: it is the mathematical subset of cybersecurity, which deals with mathematical algorithms for securing our data. So, this includes encryption, hash functions, etc. So, I had used these algorithms in my research project, but That was a very superficial use in that I didn't actually have to go into the math. I was just implementing the algorithm, but I was intrigued as to what made them so secure. Like, how were they even constructed in the first place? And they're used billions of times every day. So this led me to apply to this program, and I came out of this program with a much broader understanding of cryptography and cybersecurity as a whole. And I learned a lot more about. The actual construction of these algorithms. That is amazing.、Um, I couldn't even imagine what theoretical cryptography、uh, would entail. I remember just as I was listening to you watching the imitation game. The protagonist developed a secret code to message with his classmate during math class. In terms of mathematics, what kind of concepts are involved in cryptography? Like, how can someone interested or invested in mathematics imagine this world? It has a lot to do with modular arithmetic and discrete probability, but、um, this actually reminds me.、Um, a lot of the introduction textbooks out there for cryptography, they merge the concepts with the mathematics. And as a beginner in this field, I was I didn't. It was too complicated going into the math and then trying to understand the concepts afterward. Because if you didn't understand the math, then you definitely won't、uh, understand the concepts the way that they're written in most textbooks out there. So this actually prompted me to write my own book on cryptography, called "Trailblazing into Cryptography for Newbies." And what this book does is it separates the math from the concepts. So it allows for other high schoolers like myself, or even middle schoolers, to understand cryptography using、um, you know analogies and graphical illustrations in a manner that really anyone anybody can understand. So. Uh, I think this is a major step forward because now you don't just have to. If you don't understand the math, it's not like you won't understand the concepts. They've kind of been separated, so you can、um, first focus on the concepts, and then if you once you understand those, you can、uh, pursue the math afterwards. And I think this would be a really helpful. Uh, first step for any beginner looking to understand more about cryptography. You also received endorsements from crypto experts like at at Google and Intel, which I think speaks volumes of your work. Thank you. As someone who has already invested so much time and energy into that field, how do you envision the future of of cybersecurity, and in what ways do you wish to contribute to its development in the future? Right now, digitization is honestly unprecedented. Innovation is rapidly taking us to new heights,、um, and like even right now, we're talking in you know two different countries through this computer, and this is only increasing as、um, our innovation takes us to higher levels. So, with all of this data floating around out there, 
there is a pressing need for us to uh, secure this data. So whether it's our medical health records or just um, any other data, financial records, anything else, there is a pressing need for us to have strong cybersecurity. And billions of records are unfortunately exploited every day. And this just demonstrates that we are currently lacking in uh, security. So what I want to do is I want to increase uh, the availability of cybersecurity to all businesses. And I also want to be in the actual thick of it, working in the R&D and developing new technologies that can effectively secure our personal data. And I think that also computers are becoming, um, the computers have quickly transitioned into one of the most basic ways that we express ourselves. And um, even now, when we look at um, Facebook or WhatsApp, there are a lot of these attacks that are uh, that are targeting this data that uh, Facebook and WhatsApp get. So I think it's very essential to our very in- inherent rights to be able to protect this data. There have been a lot of rumors about you know, gaining access to photos and more personal information and exploiting that. People are sitting behind the computers, but when you are talking about cybersecurity, you are not actually working against people, but against computers. So in order to have efficacy, you have to develop strategies that are on the same level as a computer. Is that a, a true statement? or? Honestly, it's not the it's not the user who really brings a lot of the security. It's a pretty big misconception. It's the system, really. So, um, in some cases, like if you're setting a password, then yes, then it's the security is mostly reliant on that password. In which case, it is the user. But more often than not, even now when we're communicating right now, we're not actively doing anything to secure our data. That is just being handled by network protocols like SSL, TLS, uh, and other protocols. So it's really the computer that is being. Um, it's it's really just a war between computers at the end of the day, and this is actually uh, one of my one of my interests is uh, adversarial AI, and it is the, the adversaries are using AI to pinpoint specific vulnerabilities in systems. Adversarial AI is essentially using AI to combat AI, which is a very interesting field. Oh, that's really interesting. So, the battlefield is in the computer space, so it's in the digital space. Yep, exactly. Also mentioned financial records, but health records as well. And the exploitation of consumer electronic health records is a significant threat in society. So how did you target this phenomenon in your IRIC project that actually happened during 2020? So it's uh, fresh off the boat, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So due to an explosion of electronic health tracking devices, uh, from Fitbits to iPhones to electronic diabetes testers, our personal medical data is being collected by the second. And unfortunately, we lose, we, we lose possession of this data the moment it is collected, and it quickly finds its way into the dark web. So uh, I aim to address this issue. And what my project does is that it uses a physically unclonable function, and you can perceive it as a hardware-based digital fingerprint for your device. And what this, uh, for short, let's call it a puff, uh, physically unclonable function. So what this puff does um, is that it is it is used in a uh, novel key derivation procedure, and a hardware-based key is used um, is derived from this puff, and this this key is kept within the hardware. Then this key is used with Intel AES-NI, which is hardware encryption, to hardware encrypt these records. So uh, what this really does is that now what's happening is medical health records are being encrypted by a software key. The key is derived in the software, it's being encrypted in the software, 
and this opens the door to many more attacks. Uh, but rather, I'm uh, advocating to transition this into the hardware. So rather than having software-based encryption and software-based key derivation, we're using puffs to derive a hardware-based key and encrypt the records within the hardware, which will uh, prevent various attacks like side channel attacks to a greater extent. So does essentially then the hardware encryption method provide more security than, for example, a, a software prototype you've tested? Yes, uh, the hardware will definitely provide more security. And I'm actually continuing uh, this project this year and I had an enhancement, uh, which is using confidential computing. So what this allows, uh, like SGX, it allows for me to derive this key and encrypt my message or my uh, records in a secure hardware enclave. And this hardware enclave is actually so secure that even if an attacker gains access to the operating system, they still wouldn't be able to get access to that key. And in uh, today's um, crypto systems, if an attacker gains access to your OS, uh, essentially they will have access to your medical data records too. So this uh, aims to protect the key by executing all of its functions within a secure enclave in the hardware. Wow, that's fascinating. So you've added uh, another thick layer of security. So even though they think they have the key, they do not actually have the key. Yeah, honestly, cybersecurity, um, it's a very interesting field because it's impossible to make a perfect system while maintaining complete usability. So the entire purpose of cybersecurity is just to make it the, the system so complex or so time-consuming or computationally intensive to break that the attacker just gives up. You know, it's, it's not really possible to make it perfectly secure. It's really just about making it too costly for the attacker to continue trying to break your system. Ah, I see. It's more about endurance, how long <laughs> you tire out the attacker for. Yeah, for example, um, there's a common encryption algorithm out there known as AES, and it has multiple key sizes, uh, but let's just go with the 256-bit key size. So a bit can be a one or a zero. So there are a total of two to the power 256 total key combinations out there. And while that might not seem too much initially, um, to put it in perspective, that is approximated to be the total number of atoms in our entire universe. So an adversary could theoretically guess that key on the first try, but with that many, that's equivalent to them getting that one correct atom out of all of the atoms in the entire universe. So it's really just a matter of making it so computationally intensive to proceed that they just give up. That is just purely mind-blowing. And I can see your reasoning why a person would give up breaking into your system. Yeah. You've also focused on the societal impact of your current ongoing projects. And is it possible or do you intend to to apply this matter of yours into other spaces like the financial realm, which you've mentioned? Can it be applicable or would it mean a bit of difference in comparison to the electronic health reports? Uh, the only reason I really focused on electronic health records was just to give an example of its applicability. But in reality, if you were to apply this to, say, financial records, the process wouldn't change. The key derivation would still be the exact same. It doesn't matter if those records are your electronic health records or your financial records or really any other data. The, the fundamental process with the confidential computing and the key derivation still remains the exact same. So I just highlighted electronic health records so that it gives a better tangible sense to this idea, but it truly could run on any uh, 
data. That is great. Wide use, the, the wide range of applicability your system can actually bring to uh, different parts, different puzzle pieces of our everyday life. You've also supported local businesses impacted by COVID. I would like to know more about this endeavor of yours. How did you go about it? It all really started when I was just going on a family walk in downtown. So frequently, uh, my family and I likes to just uh, go on the walks through downtown, enjoy those small businesses, you know, maybe get some of our famous uh, ice cream along the way. But when we went on a walk um, just a few months ago, uh, about five, six months ago, uh, we saw essentially one out of every three businesses were closed or they had a for sale sign on their window. And it was honestly quite sad because these businesses gave the entire downtown area a sense of, you know, community. And... Um, I just felt impacted to do something about to do something for these businesses. So I became involved with a local organization called the Beaverton Downtown Association. And we are working to revitalize these businesses and downtown as a whole. So what I personally do is uh, I lead grant writing projects to obtain funding for local businesses suffering economic deficits due to COVID-19. Um, this includes the Washington County Cares nonprofit program or the Paycheck Protection Program by the Small Business uh, Administration. And uh, I hope that when these businesses get more funding, the entire community will start thriving again and we can uh, finally exit COVID-19 um, you know, with these businesses up and running. Yes, with prosperity and health. It's, it's really great that you can use your knowledge to have an impact on people. Have you always had an outward focus or um, was it developed on the way by how you were raised or several life experiences that actually motivated you to just to help people essentially? I think it's really important to give back. I mean, these businesses had were really a big part of my childhood and seeing them um, you know, fall and run out of business, it was pretty, um, pretty sad. So I just felt like an inner calling to actually help them and give them something back for all that they've done for our entire community. Absolutely. Way more than understandable. On the podcast, we usually do the if questions and bring up some hypothetical scenarios. So the next question is going to be, as a czar of legislation, so kind of having omnipotent power, what would you change about our society and why? Okay, that's a very interesting question. Um, so the, as I'm, I, th I was hinting about this earlier, but the first most important thing that I think we could do is just increase the opportunities available for students to get hands-on experience as early as, early as high school. Um, and not just science, I think everywhere, in any field, I think students need to be exposed from an early age so that they can pursue what they, uh, they can pursue their interests. For example, uh, right now, internships are extremely hard to get, even at a, especially at a high school level. And how are students supposed to choose which profession they want to go into when they don't even really know what that profession entails? In fact, uh, this is why I'm really thankful for my opportunities, because they helped shape my entire way of thinking. And I was able to evaluate whether I was interested in this field, how interested I was, if it was something I could really do for my entire life. So this is just a very important step forward in our entire society because um, a lot of people are very dissatisfied by their jobs. And I think it's important that we go where we are genuinely interested to go by, um, you know, we've already tried, tried that field and we feel interested in, by that field. 
And I think that would just increase our satisfaction with our jobs as a whole. Absolutely, because you wouldn't feel it as a as a burden that's weighing to you down, but something uh, a sort of passion that actually comes with a stream of income as well. And I guess that during those internships, you do not only gain hands-on experience which you've expanded on, but also elements of personal development, like how to communicate with people, how to work on a team, uh, time management. Have you experienced? this personal side of doing internships. Yeah, for sure. More than just being introduced to the field, it is definitely a great opportunity to build and expand on your skills. Uh, for example, my lab at the Oregon Health and Science University, where I was uh, conducting my hypertrophic cardiomyopathy research project, uh, we're a split lab between India and the US. So what that really means is that um, we have to Skype them quite frequently and uh, update them on our progress and you know, likewise there, there's a lot of communication that needs to happen. Otherwise, these labs will kind of fall apart. So I've definitely felt um, my communication skills increase and along with a lot of other interpersonal skills. So it's definitely a very amazing opportunity to acquire and cultivate your existing skill set. Since you've already done it, Skyping or Zooming was not so unfamiliar to you when COVID hit because you've already uh, nurtured those professional relationships in the digital space. Yeah, nothing really changed for us over there. I guess during the lockdown, during pandemic, you could still continue doing your cybersecurity and programming projects. So there was not really anything that was stopping you from pursuing research. Uh, that's another benefit of uh, computer science and cybersecurity is that all you really need is a computer um, most of the time and just something to program with. And you've also developed some programming projects. I'm going to tell you honestly, I'm not in the video gaming realm, so <laughs> help me out here. But you've actually developed a, a sort of a magical room that teleports a player into a random room. Uh, was it a recent project? How did you get into this field? Yeah, uh, so that, that was um, a project that I did for one of my um, classes. So I was taking, I was interested in computer science a few years ago as well. It began with the most fundamental tool, which is programming. So I took uh, outside courses at a local community college uh, because they weren't offered at my high school and in Java and advanced Java programming. So uh, for one of for my advanced Java programming, we had to work on a project. So I made this project um, an object-oriented Java game. Um, I call it the Zool, the Zool Transporter, Castle of Doom. <laughs> and it is for a player to, um, is to navigate these various castle rooms. And I was using polymorphism, inheritance, and a bunch of other factors that we had covered in the course um, to create these subclasses and you know, um, add functionality to this game. So it was just a Java game at the end of the day. Though. What has helped you um, develop skills in terms of solving puzzles that could be applicable in cybersecurity as well and learning the fundamentals of programming? This, that's another thing I like about computer science is that you learn something in a field and you'll find that it's applicable to many other parts of the same field, especially something like programming, which is really universal in computer science. The next if question on the podcast, but we are even broadening the hypothetical scenario more because if you could choose to have dinner with anyone living today or in the past that's why i said it who would you invite and why to your i don't know vip dinner party okay uh this might have something to do with uh the hamilton musical i just saw a few days ago H have you seen it i haven't i've seen clips on youtube but i don't think it counts <laughs> ah, okay it's phenomenal but anyways i would choose hamilton or really any other founding father for that matter. And uh, the reason I would choose him is because he was one of the primary founding fathers who laid the very fundamentals of 
our nation and our economic system. And I would want to learn more about why he did what he did and how he really knew that his groundwork would actually be the backbone of our society for centuries to come. Um, and I would think it would also be very interesting to see what his thoughts are um, on our country as of today. That would just be a very interesting conversation to have. Just think about the political review you would have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the next um, section of the podcast is going to be a day game. So the this or that game, I guess you're familiar with that. It's it's where you give me two options and I choose one, correct? Yes. I think it's going to be as hard as the puzzles you solve in cybersecurity. But <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> the first one is Python or Java. Java. One of my physics friends has told me that if you know how to program on Java, you will not go back to Python. Does it hold true? Uh, I haven't really worked too much with Python, but from from what I know about the two, Python is definitely a lot more stringent on like the actual syntax. So I, I've heard the same thing from a lot of my friends, but I personally have not experienced too much about Python to really speak on that. But it, I don't think that's great. You know, um, you have to choose one programming language where you have a peak interest in and i'm not trying to sound like some ivy league consultant <laughs> <laughs> right and and also i've heard that um and it's pretty true it's hold it's held true for most of the programming languages i've learned if you learn one and you learn the con like the concepts really stay the same the whether it's python or java or swift or really any other language a lot of that is really overlapping it's just a matter of getting used to the new syntax okay so the transition is not as brutal as one would imagine. Yes, for sure. The next one is martial arts or football? Okay, once again, I'm very biased on this. I would uh, say martial arts. And uh, because I've actually been doing it for more than a decade, Taekwondo, to be exact. It's just a great you know, stress reliever and it's, it's just great competing at tournaments. And I, I really enjoy Taekwondo. And winning some medals. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it justifies your passion. And how did you get into Taekwondo? Uh, I mean, I started it 12 years ago, so um, it probably had something to do with all those, um, you know, movies that I like to watch, <laughs> to be honest. That's that's probably how it all started. And afterwards, I just kind of stuck with it because in addition to keeping me physically fit, it was also a really great way to um, increase, uh, to, to kind of elaborate on my abilities, even mentally. Um, it was a great stress reliever and it, it helped, uh, you know, lay down my moral uh, values like we, they always talk about how uh, being a black belt is not really a matter of knowing how to do forms or being good at sparring. It's actually a matter of having the right mindset. Okay, so it's about self-discipline and really getting into a strategic mode, you would say. Of course, living in the moment of the fight, but also planning out your further steps you're going to take. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a big part of it. But also, even outside of that, it's, it's more about um, even if you don't win, it's a matter of you know, having self-control, having perseverance. You didn't win, that's fine. But did you learn from it? Did Are you going to improve on it? it? It's really more of a lifestyle than anything else. That sort of mindset has also helped you during research because, well, let's be honest, you got to face some failures, even in the lab environment or in front of your computer. It's inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, in fact, just looking at this COVID thing, I was experimenting on Drosophila flies. And unfortunately, um, the lab closed because you know, because of COVID and um, all of those flies, of course, died because you have to constantly change the vials um, for them to, you know, replenish their um, population. So that was, they're definitely setbacks, but I think it's important that you can take those in stride and continue working even despite these, in the face of these. 
Yeah, I'm so sorry for your flies. And then the next one is um, city or town. Hmm. I would say city. I I think that would that would just be a better. I mean, they both have their ups and downs, of course. But I just like the bustling city life. I think a lot more than the quieter town life. You can see that, of course, there is buzz. There's always something happening, and I think that um, scientists are especially intrigued and triggered by new concepts or new people. Just just something novel, right? And perhaps find more of that in a city yeah meeting new people and for sure yeah it's kind of a basic one but i think that um we can we in touch on that mountain or beach Ooh, okay now that's a really tough question you're right uh okay i have to go i have to say beach for sure because i mean i love skiing don't get me wrong skiing and snowboarding are amazing they're really fun but i don't think it holds a candle to surfing definitely beach do you surf yeah yeah I, i love surfing um when we go to Hawaii and whatnot, I, I frequently uh, surf. Hawaii, you have the best waves to do that. Exactly. <laughs> the waves and the sunset, of course. Oh, of course, pedaling in the sunset. You, yeah. You've got the whole scene going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you haven't met any sharks yet. Uh, thankfully not. Jellyfish, yes, though. Jellyfish, did it sting you? Yeah, it didn't feel too good. I'm going to be honest. Had to uh, put aloe vera on my arm the entire day. Ooh, oh, I'm really sorry about that. What what color was the jellyfish? I'm I'm not entirely sure because I was just um like paddling and then all of a sudden my arm just you know exploded into pain. I was like, what just happened? And so then I like kind of like surfed slash swam back to uh, shore, and I was like ah, and my hand was turning red. So I was like, okay, well I'm pretty sure that's a jellyfish. What an electrifying experience. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I I don't think it was blue because allegedly blues can be deadly. So um, you chose the good ones. (laughs) Okay, that's that's good to hear. (laughs) Good one chose you well in that sense. The last one is hamburger or pizza, the never ending game or struggle. I would say I have to go with pizza. I actually, I'm not too, I don't really like, believe it or not, I don't really like hamburgers too much. I'm just a really big fan of pizza. (laughs) And it's also a live circle diagram, right? (laughs) So your choice is also mathematically justifiable. Yeah, yeah. The last question, which really wraps up all the wonderful things we've been talking about, about your scientific journey and personal aspirations, is what does science mean to you? I think science is just a fancy word for curiosity. Mm. I mean, we have questions and science is nothing more than just a means to addressing those questions. So... Uh, it is a tool that we can use to obtain the, this higher understanding of our lives. And by obtaining this higher understanding, we it often translates over to actually making our lives better as well. Um, for example, when we learn more about, um, say, genetics, right? We learn more about genetics. That is directly applicable to our healthcare and for making enhanced treatments. So it's really just a matter of having curiosity, having questions, and seeking answers to those questions. And Oftentimes, these questions are also things that can directly impact our lives. So at the end of the day, science really just means, to me, it means pursuing my curiosity in um, really just curiosity, period.
I actually have never heard it put in this way that science is just a fancy word for curiosity. Such a cool statement. Sometimes I do feature quotes from a podcast episode, and let me tell you, I'm definitely going to be featuring this one. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Thank you for coming on the podcast and um, talking about cybersecurity, which has never been a topic on the podcast before. So you've definitely brought in new concepts, and I am definite that the listeners will be inspired by all the uh, amazing things you've expanded on. And I personally also wish you the best in your scientific journey. And um, everything good in the future. Thank you so much, Blanca. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. If you want to show your support and be updated on all the news, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, which would ultimately help the algorithm to bring the message to even more people and inspire many. Follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, Thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.